Well, hello, and thanks for listening in to our weekly teaching podcast here at City Church. We are a church in the Knoxville area that seeks to be a Jesus-centered family on mission. If you're in Knoxville or ever visiting Knoxville, we'd love to have you with us at one of our Sunday gatherings. If you're interested in giving financially to help us reach more people here in the city, you can give easily at citychurchknox.com give. And finally, if this teaching is helpful to you in any way, we'd love to hear about it. You can drop us a line at info at citychurchknox.com. With that being said, here's this week's teaching. Uh, So it's good to see you guys this morning. If I have not had the chance to meet you yet, my name is Eric, and I am a pastor in training here at City Church. Um, And if I haven't met you, I would love to do that. If you want to come up afterwards or anything like that, I would would definitely love to get the chance to meet you. Um, If you've got a Bible with you today, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 12. Uh, If you're using one of our Bibles, the page number is going to be up on the screen. We're going to get there in just a minute. Um, So if you have not been with us until today, we have been working our way through the past six weeks and and going through some of the most common objections or or, uh, pushbacks that people would have to faith in Jesus. So in this series, we we have covered things like uh, objections people have to the authority of the Bible or objections that, that people might have to the reality of evil and, and suffering in our world. And, and last week we talked about uh, the objections that some people have to the intolerance of Christians towards people of, of other lifestyles or other belief systems. And so today uh, we are going to be rounding out that, that series, but if you missed any of those other weeks and those are questions that you might have or objections that you might have, I would uh, really encourage you to, to go on our website and check those other teachings out because they've been really, really helpful for, for me at least. Um, the past two weeks specifically, we have been spending some time not so much uh, addressing the, the intellectual side of things, but more addressing some of the objections that people have to the behavior of Christians themselves. Uh, so for some people, the decision between belief and unbelief is not so much uh, the, the intellectual problems that may, they may have with faith in Jesus, but rather things that they may have seen Christians do, or not do, or do poorly. So we are going to spend some time talking about that today. We, we have been talking about that, like I said, last week, and we're going we're gonna to dive more into it this morning. Um, so today, I'm going to spend some time talking about the problem that many people have with the hypocrisy or the hypocritical actions of Christians in our world. Uh, so something nice and light to round out the series. It's great. Um, so I'm just going to go ahead and, and be completely real with you guys. Uh, there are copious amounts of examples of that kind of hypocrisy out there, right? It, if you grew up in church or, or you've been around church for a while, I'm sure many of us could probably name countless firsthand experience or evidence that you've seen of, of Christians not really being who they claim to be. Uh, times where you found out or it came out that, that a pastor or a deacon or some upstanding member of a church uh, was discovered to have cheated on a spouse or embezzled money from the church or, or just, just any number of things where, where they are absolutely not what they have claimed to be. And, and these leaders in, in church, they have these secret lives sometimes going on behind the scenes that they hide from everyone until they are found out. And that, that plain and simple is hypocrisy, right? 
Uh, another example that I could point to right now is there's a, there's a pretty prominent Instagram account going around right now um, that I am not going to give you the name of so you don't spend the rest of the time on Instagram. Um, but this account literally just documents example after example of these prominent pastors or speakers or worship leaders wearing outfits and shoes that cost thousands upon thousands of dollars. Right? So we've, we've got these people who are, who are talking about leveraging your entire life and your, your wallet and your finances for the kingdom of God. And they're standing up here wearing thousands upon thousands of dollars worth of clothes that they really have no business wearing. I think, I think there's ample hypocrisy to be seen in that. Uh, so basically the way this, this account works is they will post a picture of somebody up on stage and uh, they'll zoom in on each aspect of what they're wearing and they'll do a price breakdown of, of what they're wearing so you can really see uh, what, what they've got on. Uh, so don't worry, I went ahead and uh, took care of that for you guys. So here is, uh, is what I'm wearing today, this shirt. Bought it on Friday, $12.99 at Marshall's. You should check it out. Uh, and then the rest of the stuff was on clearance because that's all I can afford. So just in case any of you are wondering while I'm up here today, uh, that's, uh, that's what we're working with because we're balling on a budget. Um, so I think you see this a lot in the church, right? But a lot of times you, you see this outside of the church too, right? I think uh, there's hardly a year that goes by where, where you don't find out that some self-proclaiming Christian politician uh, who considers themselves a part of the moral majority, right, has, is caught in something completely contrary to what they claim to stand for. Um, whether, whether that's an extramarital affair or, or sexual assault or uh, attempts at random hookups in airport bathrooms, we see this happen. So if you're wanting to find hypocrisy among self-proclaimed Christians today, uh, you really, you don't have to look that far, honestly. And, and that's a huge problem to the watching world. Uh, because it feels like with, with every instance of this happening, the name of Jesus just gets drugged through the mud. Uh, and, and every time the world sees an example of this kind of secret, hidden hypocrisy, or the hidden sin of a follower of Jesus, they at least are a little bit less inclined uh, to, to respect any sort of faith in Jesus at all. all right, and this, this type of hypocrisy really seems to validate what a lot of people already think about Christianity, right? That, that it's little more than just a weird hobby that some people have, or that it's, it's just a facade. And people just become Christians to feel better about themselves, or, or they want to win an election, or they just want to give themselves some eternal fire insurance. So whenever I hear people make this accusation about Christians, that, that Christians are hypocrites, um, I tend to respond with, with two different things. And I want to walk you through what those responses are and, and why I have them. Um, so the first response I have for people is, uh, you're absolutely right. Uh, my, my first response to, to people accusing followers of Jesus of hypocrisy is, is to affirm that they really are onto something. Um, it, it's not just the examples of it that you see on the headlines or that, that make it onto the evening news. No, those, I think those are, those are too obvious. Those are, those are easy to see. Uh, the truth is, I think it's actually way worse than that, and it's a lot deeper than that. I would go so far as to say that 
nearly every follower of Jesus that I have ever encountered is a hypocrite in some way. Uh, And that includes me. So I, Eric Freeman, standing before you, am a hypocrite, right? On on a semi-regular basis, actually. Um, So when people say that, that Christians are hypocrites, I really have no reason to cast any doubt on that conclusion. So I'll just give you a, a couple quick examples from my own life. Uh, so there, there have been plenty of times where I have told my wife, Sarah, that, that she uh, couldn't buy something because it, we didn't have room in the budget for it. So whether it's something for the house or something that she wanted to buy for herself, I, I told her that we just, we just couldn't do it because there wasn't room in the budget. And then almost immediately after that, sometimes even the same day, I'll end up going out to eat with a buddy and, and grabbing a couple drinks, and then I end up spending just as much, if not more money, than I just told her that we didn't have. Uh, but on a more serious note, uh, I, I often try to encourage my wife to share things that she is feeling or experiencing or going through with me, and, and I try to remind her that it's positive and it's, and it's healthy and that growth happens in vulnerability. And then I'll end up going weeks or even months without telling her the, the depth of what I'm thinking or feeling or going through because I don't want to burden her with it or, or I, don't want to, uh, I don't want to appear weak or I don't want to, to be too vulnerable, which is exactly what I was just telling her that she should be doing and what I was calling her to do. And, and there have been plenty of times where I'll, I'll reach a point where I'll just have a blow up because of all these things that I've been feeling that I've been bottling up and, and pushing down for months, and they all surface at the same time. So I would say, not only are people right in their assessment that, that Christians can be hypocrites, I, I think they're also right that in the thinking that it's not okay, right? It's, it's not. Jesus also regularly insisted that hypocrisy is not an acceptable way to live life. He, he said countless times. So, for instance, if, if you look at the, the scripture that we have today in, in Luke chapter 12, um, we're going to read the whole passage, but I'm going to reference back to it a few times during today's teaching. Um, so starting in verse 1, it says, In the meantime, when so many thousands of the people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, he began to say to his disciples first, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. So right off the bat, notice how Jesus depicts hypocrisy in this passage. He, he describes hypocrisy as leaven, right? So most people in this culture, in this time, ate unleavened bread. And even the, the slightest bit of leaven or this acidified old, old bread, if it touched the dough, it would ruin the entire batch. It would ruin all of the unleavened bread. All it took was just the slightest bit of leaven for it to work its way through the entire thing. So not only does Jesus think that hypocrisy is wrong, we can see that clearly in this passage, he thinks that it's dangerous, right? He, he says that hypocrisy works its way like a cancer that spreads rapidly if it isn't guarded against properly. That's pretty strong language for hypocrisy. He doesn't take it lightly. And, and as for the word hypocrite, 
Uh, that didn't always have the connotation that it has now. Originally, it was just a word for an actor in a local theater. And, and these actors would often wear different masks so that they could play multiple roles in the same play. So being a hypocrite just meant that you were playing a part, right? That you were wearing a mask, you were, you were playing a role. And it wasn't until Jesus came along, we think, that it was used uh, to, in the way that we use it today, in the, in the way that we mean it, with someone who, in everyday life, pretends to be someone that they're not. So Jesus took the term hypocrite and said, yeah, just like an actor in a theater, that's what you do every day. That is the way that you are living your life. You are acting like you are someone that you're not. So the point being, Jesus was not okay with hypocrisy. And he was not okay with the hypocrisy that he saw in the religious leaders of his day. No, not at all. Uh, in fact, he rails against it on a, on a regular basis. And here's just a a few quick examples in the book of Matthew. You don't have to turn there. We're going to put these references up on the screen. Uh, the first one says, Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Or next, he said, You hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Or he, he says, but woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you neither enter yourself nor allow those who would enter to go in. And personally, my favorite uh, lighthearted, jovial reference, he says, uh, he will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Um, I think that's pretty clear on, on what he thinks about that. And that's just a, a small sampling. There, there are countless examples in the Bible of precisely how not okay Jesus is with hypocrisy. So all of this to say, if, if you're feeling frustrated or, or even disgusted with hypocrisy, you should probably know that Jesus is too. He also has a strong distaste for people who, who pretend to be someone that they're not. And he is especially frustrated by the hypocrisy of those who claim to know God, which is why he offers warnings like the one that we just saw. So for those frustrated with the hypocrisy of, of self-proclaimed Christians not, not doing what they say they, they want to be doing, I would tell you that you're, you're absolutely right, and, and Jesus is actually with you on that. But if I could, I, I'd like to add one clarification to that. Uh, some people think that every time they see a Christian fail or, or sin or mess up in any way, that that's an example of hypocrisy. Uh, the thinking is that, that Christians are claiming to be morally pristine, Right? And, and so if there are any examples of them not living up to that, that's hypocritical. But I, I think there might be a little bit of a misunderstanding in there. So to, to be a Christian is not to claim moral perfection or, or even moral superiority at all. That's not what being a Christian is. To be a Christian is simply to claim that you are a follower of Jesus. Meaning that, sure, the goal of your life is, is to grow to be more and more like him, as you, as you go along, uh, but you're not claiming that, 
you're there yet, right? It's, it's actually the opposite of that. You're, you're claiming that you're not there yet, and you need his help to get there. And, and that's why we continually need the grace of Jesus, is what I would say. So, I don't know that any example of a Christian messing up or sinning or falling short in any way is an example of hypocrisy. Uh, but what I would say is hypocrisy is, is whether or not you're trying to conceal what you did, right? If you're trying to conceal it from other people or, or trying to pretend that you didn't actually do something wrong. I think that is what makes people a hypocrite, right? Um, but I, I see why people think that it means what we just talked about because I feel like sometimes, especially in the South, uh, Christians communicate that by their actions, right? We, we perpetuate it by saying things like, don't air your dirty laundry, or uh, don't ruin your witness, or, or people saying things like, I just shouldn't, I shouldn't struggle with this anymore, right? And I think, at least to me personally, all of these things are just different ways of saying, I just don't need Jesus to keep working in me. I, I need people to think that I'm perfect, which is not the case at all. We, we still need the saving grace of Jesus. But that doesn't take away from the fact that, that people are spot on when they say that Christians are at times hypocrites. It's, it's absolutely true, right? But uh, the second response that I give people is the, the not as fun part to acknowledge. Um, the second response is that uh, we are all hypocrites, right? I, I think that's the unfortunate reality. It, it's not just Christians that are hypocrites. It's actually all of us. I think every single person on planet Earth deals with this. So here, here's what I mean by that. Every single one of us has things about our lives that are at odds with how we say life should be lived. So every single person at times acts in ways that I think are, are inconsistent with the things that they say they believe, no matter what it is. Every single one of us has a gap between who we say we are and who we truly are. So hypocrisy, I would say, is not just a Christian problem. It's a humanity problem. So there was a pastor um, a while back who, who tried to prove this point to people uh, with this illustration. He, he told people uh, to imagine they had to wear a tape recorder around their neck. Uh, at all times, as they went about their, their day-to-day life. And then he tells people just to imagine that, that it starts recording every time you would say something like, uh, everybody should blank, or I would never do blank, or I'm, I'm the type of person who always blank. So anytime you would make a moral statement of, of any kind, it would record what you say. And then he told people to imagine that at the end of your life, when you're standing before God, the only thing he judges you on is your own moral statements and how you lived up to them. How do you, how do you think you would fare? Right? I, I don't know about you, but I would fail miserably at that. Right? I, I insist all the time on moral standards that I've failed to live up to. Oftentimes that same day that I make that statement. Or even if you think you would do all right on that, even if you think, you know, I, I only make statements that I can live up to myself. What about, uh, what about your thought life? So if, if right now 
I could hook up this projector to a feed of the thoughts that you have had and harbored this past week or month. And, and I, I put it up there so everyone in the room could see it. Would you stick around? Would you stay to watch it? Or would you stay to watch other people's reactions to it? I, I mean, if every, every bitter thought, every lustful thought, every, every selfish thought, if every single one of those was broadcast on this screen for everyone to see, would you be okay with that? I, I, I don't know that I would. So, so what we're saying is that every single one of us has things about our lives that we would much rather stay hidden. Uh, we're, we're saying that, that all of us have certain things in our life that are inconsistent with the way that we say it should be, even by our own standards, right? So, so what I'm saying is, is Christian or, or non-Christian, believer or not, we are all actually hypocrites. So welcome to City Church. Uh, we're just here to encourage you today, make you feel great. That's what we're doing. No, but one question I think we should be asking is, is why? Right? Why, why are we hypocritical? Why, why do we all do this in some way? Uh, why, why do we conceal things that we think or that we do? Because honestly, if our society truly believed what we say we believe, that every person just has to figure out what's good for them and what's true for them and what's right and wrong for themselves, none of us should be hiding anything, right? I mean, why would you need to conceal anything that you do if you're just doing what's right for you? There, there's no reason to pretend you didn't do it, right? But yet, for, for some strange reason, we, we just can't manage to stop concealing parts of our life and parts of who we are. We, we, can't, we can't manage to just live our lives out in the open, completely open to everybody, no matter how religious or irreligious we might be. So why is that? Well, I think, I think the book of Romans answers it pretty well. You don't have to turn there. I'm going to put it up on the screen. So it says, indeed, when Gentiles, uh, so Gentiles here is, is Paul's language for, for people who do not know God. So when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves even though they do not have the law. They show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness, and their thoughts sometimes accusing them and at other times even defending them. So here's what that passage just said. It's saying even people who don't believe in God or claim to follow Jesus have some sense of morality. Right? We, we all have some type of, of construct in our minds of what is good and what is bad, or, or what is right and what is wrong. Uh, we, we have this construct in our minds of what things are okay to do and what things are not. We all have this inherent North Star in us that guides us in the things that we do and don't say, do and don't do. And Scripture would say that the reason we have that in all of us is because all of us were created in the image of God, right? We, we all were designed by God to live a certain way. And so even if we don't always follow it or live up to it, we still can't seem to get it out of our system. Uh, in Paul's language, in Romans, it, it, 
It says we show the require, that the requirements of the law are written on our hearts. So when our, when our consciences whisper to us, this is, this is good, or this is bad, what that very may well be is, is the echoes of God's image in us. And so deep down, we, we have these moments where we know we did something wrong. Uh, we, we have these moments where we realize that, that we did something that wasn't okay, and we, we, we weren't who we were supposed to be in that moment, uh, where we feel inadequate in some way. Um, and outside of Jesus, we, we tend to respond to those feelings of inadequacy by, by trying to cover it up, right, or, or trying to, to hide it. And I think that's, that's where hypocrisy comes from. It, the, it's the desire to conceal the parts of us that we, that we feel like don't measure up. But Jesus warns us, nothing actually stays concealed forever. Now, according to verses 2 and 3 of our passage today, it says, nothing is covered up that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. So in other words, everything will eventually see the light of day, right? The good, the bad, and the ugly. Don't buy into the lie, is what Jesus is saying, that, that your hypocrisy is going to stay hidden forever. You, you can't keep it up forever because there's actually an expiration date on that. Now, I don't know how that makes you feel, uh, but it makes me feel a little bit uncomfortable sometimes because uh, I, I do my best to live an open and, and transparent life. Uh, but at the same time, there is no doubt that there are things about me and, and my life and my thoughts that I'd just rather people not know. I mean, that, that's just the reality of it. And, and my guess is that, that most of us probably feel the same way for at least certain aspects of our life, or at least certain times in our life. But as we said earlier, Jesus is not content to leave hypocrisy as it is. Now, he, he's not just going to turn a blind eye to it. He, he, just like us, wants transparency. And he, he promises us that one way or another, that's going to happen to each and every one of us. And while that might not sound like very good news to us sometimes, it, it actually is good news. And here's why. Um, hypocrisy is exhausting, right? Um, among everybody in the room right now, uh, whatever your perspective is, here's one thing that I know is true of all of us who try to keep up appearances. We're just exhausted from it. Right? You, you are exhausted from trying to manage everybody's perception of you. Uh, you're, you're exhausted from trying to keep certain parts of yourself under wraps or concealed. Um, you're, you're exhausted from perpetually pretending that you're somebody that you're not. And Jesus would say, that's because that's not how you were designed to live. Right? You, you weren't designed to live in the dark. You you were designed to live in the light. And so Jesus says, one way or another, those things are going to be brought to the light. 
And so I, I say one way or another because God lets us choose how that's gonna happen. Uh, one way that it could happen is what we just saw that God can bring it to light. I mean, that's what he's getting at in Luke 12. One day at the end of our life, Jesus says we will all discover just how unsuccessful we were at hiding all the things that we thought we were hiding. That will happen. But we don't have to wait until then. No, we, we don't have to wait because there's another way to do it. We don't have to live in fear until that day comes. And the other option we can see in, in 1 John chapter 1. So I'm going to put it, put it up on the screen again. So here in 1 John, the author unpacks the alternative to hypocrisy. That, and there's truthfully only one way, this side of eternity, that we, that we can fight against it. And John tells us exactly what it is, starting in verse 5. He says, This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. So verse 5 is John just driving home the exact same point that Jesus made in Luke chapter 12, right? God is not okay with darkness. He is not okay with hypocrisy. He is not content with us hiding parts of ourselves from him and from other people. Because he is light, is what it says, and in him is no darkness at all. So next, he, he works out the implication of that idea in verse 6. He says, If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. So if we claim to have fellowship with God or, or we claim to know and follow after Jesus while we walk in the darkness, while, while we keep certain parts of us hidden or, or certain parts of us covered up, what does John say that makes us right here in the, in the passage? He says it makes us a liar, right? It, it means that we're lying because in God there is no darkness at all. But here, here's the beautiful, glorious alternative option in verse seven. It says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. So the, the solution that's presented to us right now is that we can bring our sin to light, right? We, we don't have to wait for it to happen to us. We can do it ourselves. We can acknowledge the, the darkest parts of ourselves that we, that we don't want people to find out. And we, and we can bring all of that to light where it can be known right now. And right after this verse, John clarifies that what he's talking about is what followers of Jesus would call confession, the act of, of bringing our sin to light willingly and voluntarily, both with, with God and with other people. And if you really pay attention to this, you'll, you'll start to see that confession is actually the most practical way to fight against hypocrisy. Right? Every time you confess, you're forcing yourself to remember your righteousness comes from Jesus. Right? It, it does not come from your own efforts or your own ability or your own actions. And it never can. Now, I know, I know what some of you are thinking right now, um, thinking what on earth would make a person want to do something horrible like that? Why would I ever volunteer the darkest parts of myself to, I mean, why would I, why would I talk to God about it, much less a, a third party? 
And I, I really feel like, though, this is, this is one of the most tangible and beautiful pictures of the gospel at work. I think this so clearly illustrates the, the beautiful exchange between us and Jesus. Right? On, on the cross, Jesus took the darkest parts of us across the whole spectrum of time. He took all of that on himself so that we could stand before God in the light. He, he, he made it possible to do that. And, and every time we practice confession with other believers, we get to remember the beauty of that exchange. And we get to actively participate in that with other followers of Jesus. And it's, it's beautiful. But I have seen, I've seen a couple different pushbacks uh, when it comes to confession, with, with other believers especially. Um, on one side, I've heard people say things like, I don't know, confession just, confession and repentance really just seems really, uh, really inauthentic. It feels like I'm not really being true to who I am right now. Um, and this is who I am right now and right here, and I just don't want to act like I'm, I'm something that I'm not. But on the other side of things, I've, I've heard some people say, that just feels too introspective, right? That's too self-focused. Because, you know, I've, I've already talked to God about it, and uh, I feel like our time would be better spent just doing an intensive Bible study together instead. Or maybe you're sitting there thinking, there's just nothing on this planet that's going to make me do that. Uh, but for followers of Jesus, it's really not that anybody makes us do this, right? It's, it's that we desire to do this. We, we desire to do this because we, we know that this is the only way to change. The, the first step to solving any problem is what? Admitting that there is a problem, right? That's confession. If you're, if you're using a map or you're using a GPS, what's the first thing you always have to do to find out where to go? You've got to figure out where you are currently. And that's what confession is. Right? If, if there's no honesty about where you currently are, there's no way to grow. But if you can admit where you're at and where, where you are right now, then that's when you can figure out where you're headed. You can grow and you can mature in Jesus. And most importantly, you know, it, it's not that anybody makes us confess. It's that God lets us. In, in light of what Jesus has done for us, we get to confess the deepest parts of us. It's, it's right there in this passage. If we confess our sins, the blood of Jesus purifies us from all sin. We get to confess because Jesus made it possible for us. Through Jesus' death on the cross, we are no longer defined by everything we've done wrong, or right for that matter. No, we, we are defined completely by his sacrifice on our behalf. And, and when we entrust ourselves to that reality, that his blood immediately purifies us, that's what happens. The reason we don't want to come to light, come to the light about our failure is, I mean, plain and simple, it's because we often think we're defined by it. But the death and resurrection of Jesus screams out that that is not true at all. No, you, you are defined by him and his sacrifice for you. 
not by your sin or by your failures or anything that you've done. So the good news of Jesus, it gets us to a point where instead of, of constantly needing to assert the best version of ourselves or, or trying to bring to light the things that you feel like you've done well and, and try to cover up all the worst parts, no, we, we just get to constantly point to the, the goodness and the grace of Jesus. So confession is the most practical way to fight against hypocrisy because every time you confess, you are forcing yourself to remember that your righteousness comes from Jesus and only from Jesus. And so as a result of this, we, when we confess, something else happens too. It says we have fellowship with one another. Right? Do you see that? So there, there's no doubt in my mind uh, that, that many of us in this room currently feel incredibly lonely and isolated. Uh, even though we, we probably have friends all around us, right? It's because no one around us knows the real us. I mean, we've, we've never shown them or we've never let them see the real us. So I, I think really simply put, we're lonely because we're hypocrites, because we're not letting people in. So this strange thing happens when you confess your sin, and especially when you confess your sin to other people, where you realize how much you have in common with them. When, when confession happens amongst a group of people, everybody starts to realize, oh, they're, they're kind of like me, right? Maybe we don't struggle with the exact same thing, but we're both struggling, and, and we're both struggling with what it looks like to follow after Jesus faithfully. And it turns out, I'm not the only person who's failing to do it well, right? And, and confession has this uncanny ability to help us build community with one another. But at the same time, confession starves out our hypocrisy, right? Confession cuts out the fuel that hypocrisy needs to grow. And the more we confess, the less hypocritical we become. And, and the less we confess, the more hypocritical we become. Confession, it really is the only way to fight against hypocrisy. And, and the good news of Jesus is the only thing that makes consistent confession possible. So, I think it, it turns out that if we really want to do something about the problem that people have with Christians' hypocrisy, all we need to do is take a look at passages like 1 John. And we need to look at them and we need to take them seriously. We, we need to confess. And we need to confess often. And, and this right here is one of the reasons that being involved in a life group is something that we're so passionate about. Right? When, when we get to live life closely with other followers of Jesus and, and we get a window into each other's lives, one of the beautiful outflowings of that is the opportunity to regularly practice this kind of confession. And so I want to I wrap up today um, just by asking a few diagnostic questions about this. Um, so if you're a follower of Jesus, I, I would love it if you would jot these down or, or make a mental note of these um, and just ask yourself these questions on a, on a regular basis. So the first question I would say you should ask is, 
Uh, what aspect of my life or thought life does nobody know about? So what are the things that you, that you find yourself replaying over and over in your head and thinking, oh, I really hope nobody finds out about this? What, what are the things that you just sweep under the rug and, and pretend that you'll never see it again, but in the back of your head, you, you know it's not going anywhere? Uh, the second question I think is, is helpful to ask yourself is, what aspect or aspects of my life and thought life am I only partially honest about? So, what are the times when, when you brought something up by saying things like, I've been dealing with lust recently, uh, but what you really mean is, all I can think about is how I wish I was married to someone else. How I wish my wife was more like that, or my husband was more like that. Or, I'm struggling day in and day out with sexual sin, and I can't see a light at the end of the tunnel. Or, or maybe you brought up things like, I'm struggling financially, when in reality every paycheck is functionally gone before you get it because you can't stop buying stuff and you're thousands of dollars in debt because you can't stop spending money selfishly on things that you don't actually need. As much as we don't want to think about it, the truth is, since we sin in specifics, we should be confessing in specifics. And the last question that I think is helpful to, to bring up is, what am I going to do about it? Right? So in light of what Jesus accomplished on the cross in taking all of our deepest, darkest brokenness and sin on himself so that we can stand blameless before the Father, what do I do next? So you see, the point of confession is not confession. The point is Repentance. Right? The point isn't just to talk about our shortcomings so that we, can, that we can check off a box to feel better about ourselves. No, it's, it's to bring attention to the areas of our life where we need the saving power of Jesus to wash over us and change our hearts and invite other followers of Jesus to join us in our fight as we all strive to look more and more like him because of what he accomplished on our behalf. So if you're a follower of Jesus in the room, uh, I, I pray that we can continue to join together in celebrating the work that was done on our behalf when we couldn't bridge the gap that was created by our sin. And, and I, I pray that we can continue growing together in, in practicing confession because we know that it's Jesus who accomplished what we couldn't. And, and we get to remember that and remind each other of that every time we bring our brokenness into the light. So I want to I close this out right now and, and, and pray over us. Um, dear God, we, we thank you so much uh, for the work that you did through your son on the cross. And we thank you that it wasn't our doing, it wasn't our accomplishments that saved us, and it, and it never will. Um, and at the same time, we're not defined at all by the ways that we fall short. Um, God, we, we just pray that as we continue to, to chase after you and to pursue you, that we would not look at confession 
as, as something that is intimidating or out of reach for us, but we would look at it as, as the tangible, practical way that we can fight against hypocrisy, both in our lives and, and in, our, in our world, God. We just want to, we want to celebrate the work that you accomplished and the freedom that we have. And we know that apart from you, that, that's not possible. And apart from you and your saving grace, there, there's no reason for us to do that. There's not. And we thank you so much that you've given us the opportunity to do it. And I pray that we can continue to remind each other of, of that truth and of what you accomplished for us as we participate in confession together. And it's in your, your son's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. As many of you guys know, we are in the process of renovating and moving into a historic church building located on the Tennessee River right in the heart of Knoxville. If you regularly benefit from this podcast, we would love to extend the invite to you to consider giving to those renovations. If you're interested in finding out more, head to citychurchknox.com slash building.